We pretty much use just about every single product that uh, Iron Source offers. We're, we're completely integrated with the platform. Of course, the mediation products, all ad, ad products, and the company that can assist us in doing UA and monetization and all the uh, additional products that come along with it. It takes a lot of uh, headache away from us. It takes a lot of the hard, busy work off of our hands, having a kind of an all-in-one platform. You just heard Andrew Stone. He's the CEO at Random Logic Games, who use IronSource's platform to grow their games in the smartest way possible. If you want to grow like Random Logic, you can get the SDK on IronSource's website. That's ironsrc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, Marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the Incrementality Solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Hey everybody, welcome to Twig 109. Today we have myself, Joe Kim, Adam Telfer, Kenny Liu, and we have special guest Ernest Wong, who's a director of research at Baskin Wealth Management based in Canada. Today we'll be covering three articles. First, Apple is astonishingly confident in its new M1 Mac processors by The Verge. Second, Bloomberg. Virtual influencers make real money while COVID locks down human stars. And finally, the argument for simpler games in an industry obsessed with complexity by Andreas Papathanasis and from his blog post. Ernest, what's going on? Could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do at Baskin? My name is Ernest. I'm the director of research at Baskin Wealth Management. Baskin Wealth is a full-service wealth management firm based in Toronto, Canada. We manage about one and a half billion Canadian for high net worth families and individuals. And I'm a long-term listener of the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. And I'm excited to talk about uh, Activision with you guys. Great. Yeah. And so we're basically going to be talking to Ernest, who has some feedback from some content that we covered in Twig 107 about Activision Blizzard, and we will get to that right after updates. But before we jump into updates, Kenny, Adam, Ernest, anything going on with you guys? What's what were you guys up to these days? Adam, are you you finished whatever you were doing with your house? <laughs> <laughs> no, it never stops. It never stops. Um, but hopefully, my audio is better this week. So we got some feedback last time I was on that. There's some buzzing noises or something happening in the background. So if there is audio issues, let me know. Yeah, hopefully it's fixed. Um, besides that point, I don't know. Like Canada is pretty boring. Um, but uh, we've got some cases spiking now, I think, similar to the States. We'll probably go into a lockdown. We'll see. Um, but yeah, yeah, Canada's pretty boring. Okay, then jumping right into updates. First, PlayStation 5 launch began last week on November 12th. 
Congrats to everyone who got their PS5. I, for one, will be waiting until the rumored chip issues and the PS5 get ironed out, but definitely looking forward to that at some point. Second, PUBG Mobile announced plans to relaunch in India with a more customized game for the region, including build, committing to building an India-based subsidiary. Further, it also made a commitment to invest $100 million in the Indian games industry. Third, PocketGamer.biz is reporting that in a release to investors on its website, Unity said that it brought in $200.8 million in revenue for the quarter, ending September 30th, which is an increase of over 50% year-on-year. Unity also reported a $141.7 million operating loss for the period, mainly due to a one-time charge due to restricted stock options as a result of the IPO, as well as its recently launched Social Impact Fund that it created. And elsewhere, Unity reported that the value of the Social Impact Fund was about $67 million based on the value of about 750,000 shares at the time. Next, Bloomberg reported that Epic got Apple's theft claim knocked out of the legal battle. As most of you know, Epic sued Apple on August 13th for the removal of Fortnite from the iOS App Store. In retaliation, Apple filed a countersuit in September and sought extra monetary damages. So it's this part that the U.S. District Court judge has thrown out. Final update. India-based mobile game startup Leela Games has announced they closed a 2.8 million seed round to build a new free-to-play shooter game. That round was led by Bitcraft Ventures and include, included Galaxy Interactive. Leela is probably best known for having the handsomest CEO in the gaming industry, but without going into too much more detail on that. <laughs> <laughs> but let's be clear here. This is, who is Leela? Who is Leela? <laughs> It's an exciting new mobile gaming startup that's uh, going to be building out in India. But anyway, <laughs> other, other investors included Mike Shirell, one of the co-founders of Machine Zone, Christian Segerstrahl, the CEO of Super Evil Megacorp, and Ludovic Bowden, the former CEO of one of the OG original mobile shooter game studios, Seamune. The company is currently hiring in India across multiple roles, so if you are interested in working on an exciting new mobile shooter game in India... I'm going to leave some contact info in the show notes, so hit me up. We're, we're in India, Joe. Mumbai uh, or... Um, Bengaluru. Oh, okay. Tell us where that is, you know, generally. East, south, uh, north. That is south... I'm glad you know. That's good. Yeah. What the listeners don't know is that you turned around and looked at your world map and, and, and stared at it intently. <laughs> No, I actually, I, I know because I was just looking at the map yesterday. I was seeing how how far away it was from, from Bombay slash Mumbai. So <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, let's get into some updates. Um, so Eric was right. I was wrong. I'm going to call that. Um, Assassin's Creed Valhalla is actually looking really quite good in terms of units sold, um, largely due to there not being much else to play at this point. Um, I've actually been playing... Uh, I just got to say, I really hate AAA games when they focus the first like 45 minutes of a new game, just watching cutscenes and playing really dorky mini games. <laughs> it gets really tough to actually get into Valhalla. Um, so all I got to say is just let me play the game. Um, second update from Space Ape. So Space Ape Games has announced that they're working on a new game for Supercell um, using the Boom Beach IP. So it's called Boom Beach Frontlines with a play test coming December 4th. So I'm just gonna throw in a bunch of speculation here. Um, 
you know, Boom Beach, of course, has been declining for years now. I think right now it's at something like 270K per month. And I think Supercell's culture is pretty counter to operating these games for years. They want to try to keep lean, small teams, and they want to invest in R&D for new titles. But heavy live ops for declining games definitely sucks up key talent. So being able to hand this over to some of their, you know, say, uh, purchase studios or invested in studios that are definitely hurting for a hit. So that's Space Ape and, say, Frogmind. So why not give them some of your IP and help them build out that first hit or offload some of your live operations? So from this perspective, I think this is a really good move from Supercell. Um, but the specifics here, I wouldn't say I fully agree with because my take is they should have actually just handed over Boom Beach entirely to Space Ape rather than making a second game and maybe even hand over Heyday 2 because I just think it's been proven on mobile that studios should invest more in bringing, say, expansions and bigger beat live content to existing games over trying to restart their whole audience with a whole new game. So I think it's easier to grow an existing game than it is to grow from scratch. And look, I, I don't really know what this game mode is going to be. I don't know what this game is. It could be really exciting. It could be Rush Wars, something that takes the IP in a new direction. But we'll see in December. Always exciting to see something new from Supercell and now Space Ape. Adam, do you think Frogmine and Space Ape would appreciate being characterized as the live ops guys? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, Frogmine Frog is traditionally not a live ops studio, right? But Space Ape was, right? Like one of their biggest pitches was that they can do lean live ops better than anybody, right? That was their big pitch that they made years ago. And I think pretty much, okay, 99.9% .9 of studios when compared against Supercell probably will get called the live ops studio. Okay. Hey folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break, but stay tuned. We'll be right back right after this message. Thanks. When the working world shifts on its axis, how do you respond? Gamers want to play more than ever, and your game needs qualified artists and animators. 80 Level RFP smooths the rough spots of recruiting and hiring qualified creative talent during difficult times and beyond. Our unique process matches curated professional artists with top companies. It's efficient and 100% online. At 80 Level, RFP means ready for production. Are you? Get started today with 80 Level RFP. That's 80.lv slash RFP. Welcome back from the commercial break, and let's get back to the discussion right now. All right, so kind of shifting to this next segment, and so Ernest, you reached out to me talking about this article that we covered in Twig 107, which was bringing more franchises to mobile is Activision Blizzard's biggest opportunity, says COO. And just to give the audience a quick summary in terms of that article, we essentially talked about one, that COD Mobile was basically whooping ass. Two, there was some speculation on what other franchises from Activision would be coming to mobile. And three, just the general outlook for Activision on mobile. And I think you were kind of saying that we were being a little bit too negative, but wanted to kind of hear your thoughts and get your take on, on Activision. Because I, I know you guys are like invested in Activision as well, right? Yeah, so, so we've been investors in, in Activision Blizzard for several years. We've been impressed by the resilience of their brands, as well as their creativity and, and really using their, their franchise IP uh, for a variety of experiences. So... If you think throughout Activision's past, 
they've turned Call of Duty into into Warzone, like a battle royale, and Call of Duty Mobile. They turn Spyro the Dragon into a toys toys genre such as Skylanders. They turned Warcraft uh, IP into Hearthstone, and they've turned Crash Bandicoot into like a kart racing games and and coming down the road um, maybe a King Runner. And and mobile and the mobile opportunity for uh, for Activision really fits into this whole theme. It's not just about uh, taking existing titles such as World of Warcraft or Diablo and putting it onto a mobile version, although they're certainly doing that as well. It's also about using their franchise IP both to create new mobile native and cross-platform titles to really deepen the engagement with the existing fan base and also grow the audience. And Hearthstone is probably the best example of this, where the designers came from the WoW, uh, World of Warcraft team and then they took the characters and and the Warcraft characters and really created a new, totally new card game out of that. So I think there are legitimate concerns at Blizzard about employee turnover and the delay of the games, but these things might be, in my experience, the, market, the stock market tends to overreact on these kind of things without really thinking about who might be there to fill up the fill up the gaps. And keep in mind that Blizzard is a massive company, right? Like they have like a thousand employees or something like that. So to me, the bigger issue at Blizzard is really that they have a really passionate fan base, which makes it very tough for them to grow into new audiences. And this is something that I would call the Star Wars problem, where by catering so much to existing players and, and what they think they want in the game, it makes it very hard for them to, to grow into to new geographies or to expand into new demographics. And the perfect example of this to me is the BlizzCon reaction to the announcement of Diablo Immortal, where I think a lot of fans were just really upset that they would even think about creating a mobile version of Diablo, even though the game was totally not intended for them at all. So the trick for Blizzard is to be, to be able to make sure that they can make games, ensure that they can maintain their own creativity without, without really catering too much to the existing fan base who may or may not even know what they really want, right? To take, a, to take a bigger step back, I think there is a perception among a lot of people, particularly in the gaming industry, that Bobby Kodak is this evil, like devil with horns guy that is just out to ruin gaming for everybody. But like, he's not, like to use your terms, like he's not some McKinsey consultant who just happened to run a video game studio, right? Like he's been doing this for 30 years and there's a reason why Activision is where it is today. I think that's really the thesis for Activision that Bobby Kodak, like he's gonna figure it out. Um, he's gonna find a way to, irrespective of what's going on in Blizzard right now, he's gonna find a way to, to pull through and, and really pull these franchises into mobile in a way that nobody's expecting. All right. Adam, did you have some comments? Yeah, I, I still don't see the map between the IP that Activision has and potential successful mobile models, right? Um, like I, I see the path for Call of Duty Mobile, right? When it shifted, I could see the path for Hearthstone. But in the case of Crash Bandicoot going to a runner, right? Like that's a really, really low RPI space. And I could see a lot of the same issues that I saw with Nintendo, where you could assume that, you know, mapping that IP to mobile models could be something easy, right? But the reality is, is that, you know, those IPs only give you so much 
leg up and you're still competing against some of the best in the industry. So I just don't, I, I don't see completely rosy that, that all of a sudden Activision is going to be able to build a mobile CCRPG of World of Warcraft and be able to dominate the space. Um, and I still think that uh, if, if the path forward is only to completely alienate the existing Blizzard fan base, um, I, I just think it's going to be a very, very tough road for Activision. Ernest, do you have any speculation on what's coming up next in terms of like some of the IP that they could be bringing to mobile? Do you have any specific thoughts on what will be coming? And I know, Adam, you speculated it'll be Overwatch, but anything else? Right. So if you look at the kind of the job postings that are available at Activision and Blizzard, they they have the titles that they've already announced, which are Diablo Immortal. Um, They have Diablo, Diablo 4, which is not a mobile title, I guess, but and then they have the, the crash runner at, at, at King. But then I think that's really the tip of the iceberg. They have a lot of postings for things that are called unannounced titles for mobile. And it could be an Overwatch, it could be an Overwatch mobile version. It could be an adjacent game to, to World of Warcraft, which is like a, I think there was a rumor that there was going to be a, a pet battle type game, which would not really grow the audience, but I think create an incremental service that kind of deepens engagement with the existing players. And I think there's opportunities for Blizzard to really do stuff that nobody's expecting at all, right? Like maybe create a Clash of Clans style game using World of Warcraft uh, IP. Like I'm just throwing it out there. One important point to make about Activision is that they have a tremendous balance sheet. They have $9 billion of cash and Bobby Kodak has been extremely patient in the past in terms of deploying this cash. He did it two times in the past where in 2008, he he took advantage of the financial crisis and and merged with Blizzard. And then a few years later, he bought King and something like six times EBITDA, which is an incredible valuation just to even think about it for the quality of a company like King today. So there is opportunity for Activision to to acquire the talent or capabilities if they lack it today. One thing I will say though right now is that valuations for all gaming companies are extremely elevated. So any price that they would want to pay right now would be at extremely overinflated valuation. And also they're competing against basically Microsoft and also Google and other people who are trying to enter the cloud streaming wars because they're trying to get content on their platforms as well. So I'm not necessarily sure about that particular argument because great studios are are not dime a dozen, and uh, every and there's a lot of there's a lot of acquirers with a lot of cash who are looking in this space just because COVID has kind of shown a, sh- a spotlight on this industry. Okay, well, why don't we roll on to news? Unless there's any other comments on Activision Blizzard, and we can go ahead and start with the first bit of news, which is that Apple is astonishingly confident in its new M1 Mac processors. We already mentioned this last week as an update, but The Verge goes into more depth on the new Apple M1 chip and the potential implications of the chip to computing. So Apple at the big Mac announce event last week announced a few new Mac models, the MacBook Air, a new 13-inch MacBook Pro, and a new Mac Mini. All of these have the new M1 chip integrated, which is based on ARM technology. And the advantages of ARM and the new M1 chip seem to be According to Apple, incredibly dramatic claims of increased performance and battery life. 
For example, Apple claims the same peak performance as a typical lap laptop CPU, but only using about one quarter of the power. And The Verge has noted, quote, Apple is astonishingly confident in this chip. These computers and the software it has developed ensure they all run well. So my take on this is to uh, try and understand what the potential gaming impact will be. So first of all, one concern is that the M1 chip has an integrated GPU, which may mean graphics aren't so good. So one implication to keep in mind is whether M1 will have an impact on Macs generally as gaming devices or not, especially if graphics aren't great. But on the lower end side, the second takeaway is that ARM is now going to be both on mobile, tablet, and PC, meaning that we will see easy cross-platform capabilities. Therefore, keep an eye out whether this could potentially open open up Macs to be better gaming devices by having greater cross-platform capabilities with iOS. Any thoughts? <laughs> Not really. Um, we, we need Eric here. To <laughs> well, well, still, like, how many people really play games on Mac? currently, right? There's still yeah, are plenty though. of games available for the platform. It's not like there's nothing there. You can play Fortnite and stuff, but yeah. nobody does. So I'm not really sure how much this is going to open up opportunities for yeah. gaming on your MacBook. Fair point. The other topic for today is about virtual influencers or virtual avatars. Um, Seraphine, a playable character in League of Legends, is also a virtual influencer for Riot Games, who now has a follower count of about 400k. While most flesh and blood social media stars are stuck quarantining at home because of COVID, you know, she's out there snapping selfies in, in Shanghai to promote, quote unquote, her uh, music. Um, a different model, uh, quote unquote model, little Michaela, uh, sh she's actually the industry's highest earner and she's done promos for Calvin Klein, Prada, earns about 8.5K per sponsored post that reached 2.8 million followers on social media, which is insane. Um, it's estimated that little Michaela will make about 11.7 million for her uh, creators this year. Um, so as COVID leads to IRL event cancellations, um, some human influencers are seeing their revenue streams dry up while virtual ones like Seraphine and little Michaela are, are thriving, um, especially as the world braces for you know what seems to be just another wave of COVID around the corner. The appetite for digital spokespeople is definitely accelerating. And, you know, brands are expected to spend up from $8 billion last year to now $15 billion annually on influencer marketing by 2022. Um, and a growing slice of that is going to belong more and more to virtual influencers, uh, while traditional marketing is basically being disrupted. Um, so the founder of virtualhumans.org, uh, Christopher Trevor, says virtual influencers, while fake, have real business potential. Quote, unquote, they are cheaper to work with than humans in the long term, are 100% controllable, can appear in many places at once, and most importantly, they never age or die. Um, end quote. Uh, that quote to me reads like a, a bad Black Mirror episode, and definitely some moral slash ethical questions have already arisen. Uh, for example, on October 10th, uh, which is also known as World Mental Health Day, uh, Riot's virtual influencer Seraphine tweeted about her own mental health issues, um, supposedly. Uh, and this created an enormous backlash from um, uh, many people in the community, who, especially those who actually do experience uh, mental health issues on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, uh, there's a full, there's a really long quote. I won't read it in entirety, but I'll just um, uh, quote it in snippets. Seeing this tweet, 
especially as I was coming home from a therapy appointment, made me feel physically sick. It's weird and it's gross. It's not a young pop star being bravely vulnerable on social media um, about what she's facing and the demons she's she's uh, she's facing. It's marketing, specifically marketing, exploiting people's sense of empathy to sell a product to potential clients. It's marketing exploitation. Um, and so for me, my, my take on this is, you know, I know actually several influencers who use digital avatars for their streams because they're not comfortable showing their face um, uh, in real life, perhaps because, you know, they're not confident about their self-appearance or just because they want a layer of anonymity. And I think these, in cases like these, you know, virtual influencers are great. You know, I think it's amazing to basically be able to put on, if you will, a, a different skin than what you're um, potentially born with or, you know, whatever potential kind of, um, um, you know, issue, physical or mental that you might have. I, th I think it's, it's amazing in that sense. But, um, for, I think, a, a corporation to actually leverage this and use it as a way to kind of do, quote unquote, grassroots marketing, it feels very predatory to me and it feels very exploitative. And uh, I'm not sure I necessarily agree with that. But what do you guys think? You know, how do you all feel about this? I'm generally very weirded out right now. <laughs> I Every single week, I think Joe pings us and says, you know, let's actually put this on YouTube. Let's actually become true streamers, get this on Twitch and get live questions. And I don't want to do it. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> needs to see me with bedhead every single morning. But what if I um, make you an amazingly handsome avatar, Adam, that, you know, only only tries to get, you know, 10% of your actual IRL beauty, but it, that that in itself is enough for, for people to become enamored with your with your digital personality? No, no. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think I'm I'm going to be an expert on commenting on on these types of social things, right? Like, I don't know. This is just a very weird, weird story. Um, I I can barely get over the first hump of why is there a fully digital influencer of a character in a video game? Yeah, but yeah, this is totally a Black Mirror episode, by the way, right? Like, there is yeah. an episode that's like this, right? Except that is Donald Trump instead of. Uh, <laughs> League of Legends character, but yeah, yeah. Joseph, right. any comments? Nah, I, I although I I think I read something like the Seraphine character might have been based on a real person or something like that. There was like some article where like some riot guy dated somebody and she's claiming that <laughs> it's based on her or something. But I I'm just embarrassed that. A, a virtual persona can have 400,000 followers and I have like two followers. <laughs> I think you have more than two, Joe. <laughs> yeah. And those two gave you money. So, you know. <laughs> all right, okay, let's move on to the last article. Finish strong. Um, so, yeah. Finish strong. Let's hope, let's get some debate going here. Cause uh, yeah, I, I want to do something a little bit different because usually we cover news after news after news. And then we just get angry Eric talking about the industry. But uh, I did want to start talking a little bit about, like, say, product and design strategy. Um, so this was a great article by, I'm going to butcher his name, but Andreas uh, Paptanasis. Paptanasis. Um, overall, he's got great content, and I definitely recommend reading his blog. Um, his article was the argument for simpler games in an industry that's obsessed with complexity. And I think the, the argument is that we should, as an industry, start focusing much more on creating simpler games rather than believing that the market requires complexity to succeed. So like his main arguments here is that, of course, complexity kills game developers 
and distracts teams from the content that players actually want. So dev teams over-focus on things like hyper-realistic graphics versus simpler kills your scope. And games like, say, Dawn of the Titans, where the focus was on controlling hundreds of units, performs so much worse than something like a Clash Royale. Star Citizens, of course, legendary scope bloat. All of this comparison to say like a Brawl Stars where character and ability design are very, very simple, but there's a lot of depth underneath those systems. And I think game developers overall end up blowing up their scope by focusing too much overall on content that doesn't matter. Everybody's building massive open worlds, Assassin's Creed, Valhalla. And when players just want to jump into a city, you know, drive around, cause some havoc or jump into a world and do some things, right? Like they don't care about the size, they just care about the actual activities that they're, they're going through. And it, he, he brings up a lot of examples from Brawl Stars, um, as well as talks through things like the latest top games are Fall Guys and Among Us, which are very simple. Um, and that if you look at the Google trend of Brawl Stars and you compare it to Anthem, Apex Legends, PUBG, uh, Brawl Stars has actually been growing much more consistently um, at a much higher scale. So these are his main points. He's saying that, hey, you know, complexity is not a selling feature. Simplicity um, can help you really focus on content. And overall, while I think his core message is quite strong and good, um, I think he's oversimplifying the issue and that's not meant to be a pun. Um, because the examples that he's using, he's using a lot of anecdotal examples. So things like Among Us and Fall Guys, good example, but of course this game, these games will likely pop and drop due to their simplicity. They just don't have the structure in place to keep interest and novelty. Same thing with Brawl Stars, right? Like we've already seen that it's taken a lot of effort to get them the growth that they're seeing now. And most of that just has to do with the fact that they released in China, right? It's a very tough spot where they now need to figure out how do they deliver continually on live content to, to actually continue that growth. And you compare that to say like Destiny, which is probably the best example of this, right? Is actually a pretty complex game, but at the same time was too simple because it actually forced that team to spend too much money on content that players just don't value. So overall designers should be making the right trade-offs for mechanics, depth versus the complexity against the goals of their project against the target audience, right? If I'm building a hyper-casual game, it's very different than a mobile CCRPG. And I would say mobile CCRPG, if you're coming to me and saying, I'm gonna make the simplest mobile CCRPG, that is not the right path, right? Because I think there's a lot of paths to success, but when it comes to free-to-play, a lot of that has to do with your live content, how you can continu continually deliver new, engaging, and monetizing content. And if your systems aren't complex enough to be able to continue to deliver that for years, it won't work. So really th that's where at the heart of this article, I would like to argue because I see the opposite in the industry. I see a lot of pitches from say newer developers entering free to play space, looking at services and they wanna pitch something that's more accessible, simpler. And all of a sudden, because of that, it's gonna become more successful than the complicated incumbent. And I just feel like that is a very losing, that is a very um, dangerous strategy. Because while I agree that developers should focus on the right content and don't let graphics or scope distract from the content your players want, taking this article at face value would actually be detrimental to most teams. Because I believe complexity is a double-edged sword that is necessary in order to actually navigate the jungle that is live operations. So that's my pitch. What do you guys think?
Should we be making simpler or more complex games? <laughs> My take on this is that this post was kind of overly long and com complex <laughs> for talking about. <laughs> you know. I, I said it was overly simple. You're saying it's overly complex. Okay. Well, I, you know, because it was basically expounding on a tweet, right? And it, I don't know. But I would agree with you overall that I think the take overall is overly simplistic. So the take is oversimplistic. The article itself was too long, in my opinion, and too complex. But first of all, I would say that as a mobile game developer, honestly, we like we talk about complexity all the time. It's a huge topic especially from the perspective of UI, UX, and many, many times we've killed features just because, you know, we talk about what would be the impact to the, the UX, to the user flows, and we would kill features all the time just because it was too much. And secondly, I agree with you that the thesis that simpler is always better is kind of a dumb thesis, right? Yes, generally speaking, that's the case. You always want to minimize complexity where you can, but to your point, like you need to match the complexity to your audience and you, you basically want to understand what, what is your audience looking for? And based upon, you know, that feature set, you're going to have to weigh off complexity versus the, the, the benefit of having the feature. You're going to have to weigh what the impact on the user flow is, is going to be. But yeah, I, I do think just taking the advice on face value doesn't make sense to me. So that's that's my take. Yeah, can I can I hop in here, Joe? Yeah, Is that all right? Yeah. So I think the, the the article misses like the fundamental kind of like most complex issue of simplic simplicity, no pun intended, which is basically in order to have something that is elegantly and beautifully simple that works, that is not easy at all. That actually comes from many, many more iterations of something that started off a lot more complex and was distilled down to an, its basically essential essence uh, from a design or a product perspective and to and deliver to the player in a way that they can understand. So just to give some examples, I remember when I was working at Riot, I had made friends with uh, a designer uh, named Stephen Mortimer, who used to work at uh, Nintendo America. And he he we talked about about like new player onboarding because that was the the one system that we were working on at the time. And he asked me for let's say something for let's say a Super Mario game for level level three level hundred right, for that Super Mario game, guess how long it would take to basically craft that level. Um, and he said it would take about maybe several hours, uh, you know, three hours, let's say, an afternoon. And then he said for level three of that same game, guess how long it would take to actually uh, get that right. And he, would, and he said something like, you know, two to three weeks, right? <laughs> and the reason why is because, you know, at level three, you have to simplify the design down to something that is actually a lot under really understandable for somebody who's never really played your game before hasn't has only basically entered into your game and so to say that for game developers to try and get to simpler games and less complex games it's really difficult because you see brawl stars you see how simple quote unquote simple the design is uh, for their characters, but it's not simple at all. There's so much thought that's put into it, the polish of the exact silhouette, the posing, the animation, the texturing. It it, it looks and, and, and feels like a toy. And that's the beauty about what Supercell does and what high quality AAA studios like that can do. And not, and not all of them can even do that. And that's why many of them basically tend towards those realistic kind of um, uh, art styles and, and super complex mechanics. 
Um, so in my opinion, I think there's only a very few handful of, of studios that, out there that can actually do simple really well. Um, I would say Nintendo is up there. I would say Supercell is up there. I'm not necessarily sure about um, many other examples beyond those two, to be really honest with you guys. But if you if you know of any others, um, speak up. Yeah. Actually, I mean, I think maybe I was a little bit overly harsh on the article. So he does raise a really good point about complexity. I guess the the takeaway from me is just be careful, though, to Adam's point, and just like just match the complexity with your audience. But I do agree that there probably are instances where people are just going overboard. So just just be cautious of that. And I think that's it. Ernest, what's going on? Any final message to our audience? No. Uh, thanks for having me on again, and I'll be happy to do this again at one point. All right. If you guys want, yeah. Thanks, thanks for the feedback. Here. Yeah, no, this is great. Thanks for the feedback. We, we appreciate it. Yeah, we, we always need feedback. And all right, I think that's it today. A uh, little bit shorter than usual. I don't know, guys. Well, hope, hopefully, we'll, we'll we'll bring it more next next week. I feel a little off today just because I've only had a few hours of sleep. But we'll see. What happens. <laughs> I wonder why. Yeah, I wonder why you're losing with sleep. All that money, all that money under your bed, your mattress. Yeah, finally drawing a salary. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Catch y'all later. Yeah. Bye.